Have you ever thought about deleting Instagram? I actually deleted all my social media apps because I tried screen time and it didn't work. I deleted the app, but I didn't delete my account. I delete the apps off my phone, so I use them less. I've definitely deactivated my Instagram a few times. I've definitely had like an anxiety attack where I'm just like, I'm just going to deactivate this entire thing and like just go to bed. I don't have Instagram or Facebook on my phone anymore. I don't spend enough time on my phone. You know, it's that like, oh, I'm bored and autopilot into trying to find something entertaining. I'm just trying to like take a break from Instagram and I want other people to know. Hello and welcome to Why'd You Push That Button, a show where Caitlin Tiffany hello, and Ashley Carmen, that's me, examine all the choices technology forces us to make. And today is a very special day. <laughs> we want to know if deleting your Instagram makes you happier. <laughs> big question. Yeah, it is a big question. So, Ashley. Yes. I have to tell you. Mm-hmm. I decided to deactivate my Instagram a couple of weeks ago, which you maybe know because you may have tried to tag me in dozens of photos since then. I don't want to hurt your feelings. You didn't notice. (laughs) Okay, fine. But fine. So I decided to deactivate my Instagram account a few weeks ago for a few reasons. The biggest being, as you know, as you have heard tell of, but perhaps the audience has not, what we'll call my cinematic New Year's Eve breakup. Very cinematic. It was. Honestly, in the street, middle of the night. The ball dropped 15 minutes ago. <laughs> the fireworks. <laughs> Ba-boom. The ash was still in the air. Oh, sure it was. Sure was. Okay, so it happened, such as life, but I could tell that it pretty immediately led to some like really unhealthy Instagram behaviors on my part. I mean, nothing that bad. It was more just like the quantity of the behaviors, like the repetition of things like going into his tagged photos and like making sure he had not yet untagged himself in photos I had posted. Mm -hmm. Like I probably did that 10 times a day. Or, you know, just like really habitually checking like the views on my Instagram story, not just to see if he had watched it, but to be like, maybe he didn't watch it, but one of his friends watched it and told him what was in it. Mm-hmm. These kinds of things that were really just making me feel crazy. And then I read Jenny O'Dell's book, How to Do Nothing, which is all about like commercial social media being designed to make us like anxious and upset all the time. And I was like, that's me. I'm anxious and upset all the time. <laughs> and then just, I don't know, like the breakup was probably the biggest part of it because I, you know, there's so many things you can drive yourself crazy over. So many like data points online. I would like see, I really hope he doesn't listen to this. This would be so embarrassing, but I would like see a Venmo transaction between him and like a girl I didn't know. And then be like, I should see if they follow each other on Instagram. And did they know other mutual people on Instagram that would indicate that maybe they're like part of a friend group and I don't need to stress about this. Or like he's listening to this Spotify playlist by this girl. Like I should see if they follow each other on Twitter. And then I should see if they've interacted on Instagram and I should do all of these things. I had a front row seat to all of this. Yeah. This Uh, entire (laughs) internal dialogue wasn't just internal. I know. It was to me. I externalized (laughs) it quite a bit. Ashley has been really patient with me. But like even separate from the breakup situation, like I think I've been feeling bad stuff about Instagram for a long time. Like I went by myself to New Mexico, was like literally wandering around in the mountains, looking at these like gorgeous rock formations that Georgia O'Keeffe painted and 
caught myself thinking like, how long do I have to consciously enjoy this natural beauty and this like rare moment of peace before I can take a picture of it on my phone and like drive back to someplace with cell service and put it on my Instagram? (laughs) That's really crazy. And I also think like, People talk about getting sucked into Instagram and scrolling through the feed, but I wasn't even doing that because I, I didn't care about anybody else's content. I just cared about getting notifications on mine. So I was just like opening the app over and over, looking to see like which strangers had liked my photographs, maybe watching the first few Instagram stories and then just doing various things that made me feel terrible. I wasn't even like doing the fun part of Instagram where you like look at your friends' pictures and feel happy for them. Mm-hmm. And also I couldn't do that part because I was so miserable that like, seeing any photos of anyone else being happy just made me so angry. I was like, like, this is totally irrational and nobody's lives are perfect. But I was just like, what did you do to deserve to be happy? Like, why am I unhappy? Like, what did I do to deserve this versus you to deserve like this perfect life? Mm -hmm. So I deleted my account and I think it's pretty clear that that was the right choice. Well, I didn't delete it. I deactivated it. So if you deactivate, that means that people can't find you, but your content is still live on Instagram? Yeah. Well, I did reactivate once to contact a source for this show, and then I tried to immediately re-deactivate it. Like, I hadn't looked at anything else. I had literally just gone to that page and sent the DM and then tried to re-deactivate it. And Instagram was like, you can't deactivate it again until a week from now. (laughs) They're like, we see you. Which is, I assume, like a security thing or just because it's a burden to pull things on and off their servers. I don't know. But yeah. So then I was back on Instagram. Then I redeleted it for the same reasons. Then I came back on briefly to post like some promo stuff for our new season and found myself immediately using it in the same horrifying ways. So now I'm back off. I mean, do you feel like this is just a storm you have to weather? Like, Or is this a permanent, like, life choice now? I don't know. I thought I was ready to be back on Instagram. I was like, I've been off two weeks cold turkey. It's fine. But I think I have learned that that was not fine. That was not enough time. But I do like Instagram, and I, like, hope that there comes a moment in the future where I can use it like a normal person because I like having a little digital scrapbook of my life. I do like looking at pictures of my friends normally. (laughs) You're not alone, Caitlin. I feel like (laughs) there has definitely been, I guess, over probably the last year and a half or so, sort of this movement online, the time well spent movement that's really going around is like this idea of how you use your time and if it's the healthiest way to do so. And so Apple introduced a feature called Screen Time, which is designed specifically to let you monitor how long you're on your device and also set some limitations around what you're doing on that device. So like you can limit your Instagram use to two hours a day. Mm-hmm. And then a little pop-up will come up and be like, you reached your screen time limit. Right. But then you can just ignore it if you want because you're an adult. Here's the thing. I don't trust that that would help me at all in my use case. <laughs> Are they going to be like, stop doing these horrific, like, I could easily accomplish all of the horrifying things that I just told you about mm-hmm. in two hours a day. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Apple has this thing. Mm-hmm. Google has their digital well-being suite of features as well, which is, is relatively similar. Right. And then it's also interesting because the apps themselves are starting to build in features designed around healthiness, healthfulness of like muting people, blocking people, turning off comments. Like there's certain little features that they are including now that are kind of designed to like help you curate your experience, Mm -hmm. (laughs) create your bubble so you are not triggered. Right. Basically. (laughs) So I feel like the tech companies are starting to respond because I guess – 
if the alternative is having you quit, they're mm-hmm. like, oh, we'll build some features. We promise we'll make it totally cozy here for you. Right, Don't right, delete right. the app. Yeah. <laughs> but the thing for me is I'm like, I'm on my laptop all day, every day. So if I'm not looking at my phone, I'm looking at a different screen. And I honestly don't get the point. Yeah. I don't get the point. I'm like, who in this world has the luxury to not stare at a computer every day? I'm a little suspicious of those apps, too, because it's just kind of like... Yeah, these big tech companies created these platforms that are, dominate our lives. And now the big tech companies are going to make something else to deal with that first problem. Yeah. It's like, I don't know, you guys, your track record here with making me feel existentially okay is, is not stellar. Well, and everyone that I know who's had has put limitations on their social media. So you can set like, I only want to use Instagram for an hour a day. And then you it'll pop up and say like, you've reached your limit. Everyone I know who has that, it'll come up sometimes when they're trying to show me something and they'll just be like, oh, whoops, and like skip over it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, what is this doing for us? Yeah. It seems like deletion actually is kind of maybe the only way to go. Yeah. So the mission, figure out what it is about these apps that makes people dabble with deleting them. Then figure out, is there a better way to regulate our social media behavior so that we can still do the good stuff, like looking at pictures of our cousins, babies, and whatever. So first, we're going to talk to some fellow quitters. The quitters. Then we'll talk to a media researcher who has literally performed a study on social media quitters. And then we'll go to one of the sources of the strife, big tech. A design director from Google, give them a, give them a chance to defend themselves. Be fair. Yeah course at the end we're gonna be happy and healthy and caitlin will be well adjusted okay great (laughs) this is so much cheaper than finding a therapist i was about to say i'm getting paid for this (laughs) so first up we spoke to one of my very close friends from college ryan hey actually hold on give me a second I take my retainer out. He quit Instagram with his wife, Krista, almost a year ago now. It wasn't like a big thing. It was just kind of like, should we just quit Instagram? Like it was very casual and it was like, maybe we will, maybe we won't. And we did. Ryan and Krista were the Instagram couple. They are super trendy. They buy like gorgeous items. Their house is curated. (laughs) Their dog is precious and named Hot Rod. Their entire life is Instagram. And it was always kind of funny for me and my friends that weren't Ryan to just like keep an eye on their life. And Ryan has a really good eye. He's super artistic. So is Krista. So everything they post on Instagram performed really well. And it was like he was my Instagram friend. And it's kind of funny because when we talked to Ryan, he noticed his own like, quote-unquote cohesive brand, which everyone else picked up on too, and he was kind of grossed out by it. Should Instagram be the place that you are expressing your aesthetic? Like, should that be the main place that you're living through? Should you really be thinking about that platform as like the main source of what represents you? Ryan, unlike you, Caitlin, spent a lot of time scrolling and looking at other people's posts, which like makes sense because that's literally what Instagram was designed to do is suck you in and have you scroll forever. There's the time aspect where it's like you get actually addicted and you're just like opening it and you don't even know why. And you're scrolling through and you're like trying to look at every photo 
in the feed or like all the stories. When the stories came, it became really apparent that you open it up out of habit and just start like looking at shit. You don't know what you're looking for. Quitting Instagram freed up his time but it didn't immediately free up his brain. Oh, no. This is my worst fear that my brain will never be free. (laughs) When I first got off Instagram, there was a few-month period where I still had that mindset of like, ooh, look over there, that like cat on top of a car that's a monochromatic color scheme. I could really capture that and put it on Instagram. And then that feeling faded, and I just started observing things and not thinking about like, should I put it on Instagram or not? Ryan says that it took quitting Instagram to realize how much the app was standing in for a real social life. He and his wife, Krista, recently moved to L.A., and he says they've made a lot of friends. I think that's another big part of it is like a lot of people who maybe are really busy or struggle with like being proactive about being social will just like share things on social media because it's easier than making the effort to like actually go hang out with somebody. And then they expect people to just know about like these key things that happen in their life from Instagram. And it's like, you don't even have the joy of like meeting up with a friend and like updating them on your life because they already know it all. Getting off Instagram also helped him realize, and sorry, this is like kind of cheesy, but it made him realize who his real friends are. It forces me to think about like, who do I want to keep in touch with instead of who did I follow seven years ago when I was in college and just continue to follow and I feel bad about unfollowing them. Now, he doesn't take as many photos specifically for the gram, although he does share photos on Twitter. There was this moment where I was just like, oh my God, what does a photo mean and what does it mean to consume like a thousand photos a day? And like, how much data are you taking into your mind by looking at one photo and having to interpret each time when you look at that photo, like, does this reflect with this person's brand? Is this authentic? Is this inauthentic? Like, it's actually a lot of calculations you're doing with every photo you view. And when you're viewing, like viewing them in bulk and doing it every day over and over and over again, it really could change your brain chemistry or just the way you're looking at life. Obviously the first few days were a little weird, but after you get over that hump, it wasn't hard at all. And so it was like, well, okay, let's just see how long we can do this. Okay, so as you mentioned, Ashley, like for some people, Instagram is not just a hobby, it's part of their livelihoods. Yes. So we should definitely speak to someone for whom the decision to quit is like, a little more complicated in that way. Okay, so next up we have Musa Nyangawe, a former Cape Town fashion influencer who wrote this, like, why I left Instagram opus for High Snobiety, which is one of my favorite websites. I love brands. My name is Musa Nyangiwe. I'm Cape Town, South Africa, former online influencer, writer, and I guess general fashion enthusiast and media enthusiast. Studying at the University of Cape Town, and my major is film and media and fine art. So Musa was what you would call a micro-influencer, which is kind of the worst place to be on Instagram. It's basically where you have enough followers, where people are expecting a certain type of content from you, but you don't have enough where you're making like serious money. I started blogging when I was 16. I wanted to create a space where myself and my friends could share our own experiences in the fashion space, but also 
create content, uh, partnering up with our favorite brands to sort of recreate the global images that we normally get in, in our industry for a South African and African context. Any chance I would get, I would spend on Instagram looking at what my peers were doing, what my brands that I was working with were doing, just like all the other influencers and obviously celebrities. So I would probably say maybe eight hours a day I would probably spend in total on Instagram. He quit Instagram during his first year at university. I took some time off to sort of think about it first. And then I was still sort of posting, but not that much. And then at some point I just went cold turkey. I just said, nah, I'm not interested. That was about three, four years into my blogging. I felt as if because of the fast pace of Instagram and like how consistent it is, like there's always a post from someone. I felt the pressure to also as like a creative to always be contributing to that space and always have something to put on and and post. And all the experiences that I was going through as a university student, I felt as if I had to share those. And I don't know, it felt as if I always needed to be this person who was present and that other people saw and knew. And I actually just want to be able to just do things without thinking about like the aesthetics behind them or how many followers or likes something will generate for me. He had been getting really uncomfortable with how blurry the line was between his professional life and his real life. I definitely was feeling very uncomfortable with how I didn't exactly know what was for that Instagram account or what was for my own entertainment, I guess. And that, I don't know, I just felt really uncomfortable with that. Unlike Ryan, and definitely unlike you, Caitlin, he has found a way to come back to the platform without it ruining his life. After a while, I made myself a smaller private Instagram account with all my close friends, which has definitely been the best experience so far online for me. It'll be anything from a photo of a friend of mine, like a selfie a friend sends me that I find to be really like funny or or whatever, or like a photo of myself when I was five years old. You know, anything that I find or that I like in the moment as well, which is something that I never had with my professional Instagram account. I could never just like something sporadically and then posted immediately. There had to be, there was a sort of a process of filtering and a lot of the cool stuff I think was cool. Just never made it onto that Instagram account because I didn't think other people would understand or resonate with it. Now for the key question you were waiting for, Caitlin, how long does it take to get to that point of being able to set limits for yourself, to be well-adjusted and happy? Apparently, It's at least a few months. Like, I think it was about four or five months where I just was not on Instagram in any capacity, spending a lot of my time on everything else other than Instagram. It's difficult because almost everything is on there. Social circles move basically online on Instagram. And that's where you find out where people are and what people are up to and what your friends have been up to if you haven't seen them in a while. So it was very difficult. It's very much like an isolating experience not being on Instagram, or at least I found for myself. Unlike Ryan, who is, I think quite a bit older than Musa, and this is probably a key generational difference. Musa found that quitting Instagram made it pretty difficult to have a social life. It was a little bit lonely. I realized when I was off Instagram that a lot of social interactions, at least in in my circle, revolve around Instagram and like sharing online what people are up to. So I'd find myself at like a a dinner or whatever kind of like social gathering. And let's say maybe 40% of what was happening would probably end up on Instagram or was being created to end up on Instagram. So when you're not on Instagram, that 40% of the time, it's like, what am I going to do? Because I'm not taking photos to post later. I'm not sharing this on a story. It was 
really isolating and weird for him. Because it felt exploitative just because I wasn't on there and I had no control over how someone could use my image or what they were saying. I couldn't see what they were doing. I couldn't comment. It just felt like my image was being taken and thrown into some online portal that I had no control over. He's coming back slowly and hopes to return to putting creative work on Instagram eventually, but he says he's grateful for this break. I do think about it every day, but I don't necessarily think that it's a bad thing for me, at least. I think that I became a lot bigger than what I really am. You know, like I, I think that my online personality or the personality that people attribute to me online is a lot bigger than who I really am. And so I like that people have maybe forgotten because it means that I can start again and hopefully this time control what the perception is around me and not be this intimidating person that people, a lot of people say I am when they meet me because of what they've seen online. I love and respect this young person who's already so much more mature than me. (laughs) Great. Okay, so I spoke to one of the three art students, Lithuanian art students, behind one of my favorite Instagram accounts, which is called Pretty Ugly. So my name is Justina. I am from Vilnius, Lithuania. Pretty Ugly was basically a part of my master's studies. I have bachelor and master degree in fashion design, and I've been working on this platform for two years. I was doing fashion experiments on a daily basis to provoke fashion stereotypes in like different ways. And I was documenting everything and putting online. I would spend, you know, more than three hours per day on Instagram just scrolling, not even posting because I was, you know, having doubts. Justina quit Instagram about a year ago. I've been working on my master's project for two years. And when I graduated, I kind of felt tired, basically, of everything because, I mean, the involvement was really serious because I was posting because I had a project for a degree. And then I decided to stop and just quit social media two or three months after graduation. She says she can remember the exact moment. I was, I think, drinking coffee on the bench in the central street of my city. And I was just absorbing people around, drinking my coffee. And then I picked up my phone, as I usually do, multiple times per day. And I remember that I saw something that made me feel very bad about myself. I do not remember what was that exactly. Probably someone traveling or buying something. (laughs) It was just You know, that click moment when I realized that I want to delete it. I don't want to be a part of it for some time, at least. Then I googled how to do it and I did it. You know, doing the actual thing physically, not just saying to yourself in your head that, okay, so I'm not checking Instagram for a week. I actually deleted my account and deleted the apps from my phone. It felt sort of a relief. But of course... Her brain had been trained by the app's reward system. It's not that easy to undo that. The first week was weird because I was picking up my phone a lot to check something, but then Instagram wasn't there. So that was weird because I had this habit, but then it went away. And I just started using my time on other things like reading a book or watching useless YouTube videos. (laughs) 
At first, she really missed talking to people in her DMs and in her comments. It felt uh, uncertain because it became a part of my life. And suddenly I would cut everything. And that thought was a little unpleasant, let's say. And now when I review this after more than half a year, I just reevaluated my friendships. And I know that close friends are more important than just people who I know. And I like to invest my time in communicating with my close friends, not just chat uh, with whoever, whenever about whatever. (laughs) Honestly, it was Justina who convinced me to do my Instagram deletion experiment. Whoa, Justina girl. (laughs) I literally deleted Instagram like five minutes after we got off the phone. It was her idea. Maybe for a day just to feel how you feel when you actually physically do that. Email me if you will do that. How were you feeling? Drop me a line if you're ever in Lithuania. I know it's quite far, but I mean, who knows? (laughs) Okay. I cannot wait to visit her in Lithuania and post no photos together. (laughs) Not joking. (laughs) I love these stories. And honestly, we're going to be savvy again, but it really warmed my heart to know that like, even if we can't say anything else good about social media, we can say that it is forcing people to reckon with some real existential questions. Definitely. All right. So we're feeling good. I'm inspired for sure. Yeah. Okay. So after the break, we'll be back with some experts who are going to help us with our question. Would we be happier without Instagram? And they're going to get maybe a little more nitty gritty. Like, are there other solutions beyond just quitting? Is there a software solution? All right, welcome back. It's expert time. Yes, ma'am. Okay, we talked to Sarita Schoenbeck, an associate professor at the School of Information the University of Michigan, and she led a really interesting study about 10 years ago before most people were even talking about these problems. I was a pretty early adopter of Twitter. And a few years in, I started noticing that every February and March, people were starting to tweet that they were giving up Twitter for Lent. After about three years of that, I said, we should study this. This seems interesting. Why are people giving up Twitter for Lent? Normally people give up chocolate or alcohol or other kind of vices. So it seemed like Twitter was moving into this category of vices or something that people want to control. She wanted to know if people would stick to their word, their word to God. So I used the Twitter API, which is a way to access a larger amount of tweets, and collected tweets from people who tweeted that they were giving up Twitter for Lent. And then I tracked whether they actually did give it up or whether they came back at some point and some of the details. So did they acknowledge when they returned? Did they just kind of quietly return without referring to how they'd proclaimed that they were going to give it up earlier? The success rate was actually much higher than I would have guessed. I asked her how many people managed to stay off Twitter for the entire season of Lent, which is 40 days. So about two thirds did. Some came back from maybe one tweet or two tweets and then kind of left again. So they might have said something upsetting happened to me today. Someone bothered me today. Someone harassed me. I just wanted to come back and get some support for that. And then they left again. So they might have acknowledged it. Others came back to tweet one or two things and then left. And then some people just gave up completely and were back full time. The one thing we couldn't measure was were people on Twitter, but just being silent. So we can only tell if they're there, if they're 
posting tweets or replying to tweets. She recognizes that the quote-unquote no Twitter for Lent is, on its face, a little bit silly, but she thinks it speaks to one of the big reasons people want to take breaks from social media. For most people, it relates to this feeling of wanting to have self-control over the things that they're doing, and that includes how they're using Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat. People feel like they might be using it too much or that they're not able to control when they're using it, and they want to regain that control. So there's always this urge to check them, to tap the button on the phone and open them up, and to see if you have notifications, see what's going on in the world. And at the same time, it can make people feel like, are they actually making the choice to be opening up these apps? Um, or are they just doing it out of habit, or because it's something they're used to, or because it's something they can't control? Sarita feels a lot of empathy for people who are trying to figure out how to relate to these apps because she recognizes that they're run by huge companies that don't really have much accountability to us. In the news, we hear about all the privacy invasions that sites like Facebook are doing. They're selling your data. The data is being hacked. Of course, that spreads to Instagram and WhatsApp since Facebook owns them. We hear about all the political divisions that you see on Facebook in particular, also Twitter, maybe not Instagram so much. There's other things like social comparison that you definitely see that on Instagram. You see people sharing the best photos of themselves, which can make people feel bad about themselves. You might worry about that with younger people who are very impressionable. So there's all these reasons why people now are thinking, should I be using this? Should I not be? And some of it is, in fact, just healthy socializing. You can keep up with friends from high school, with family who live far away. And so there's a lot that's put on people's plate to try to figure out what is actually the the right amount of social media to be spending time on and which apps and how much time and who should you be interacting with? Because there's a lot of things we just don't know. These are really hard questions for an everyday person to be able to answer. One of the most frustrating things to her is that people still act like social media media health isn't part of your mental health in a serious way. It's almost as bad as 100 years ago when doctors didn't get that mental health also related to your physical health. If we think about Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and other social media sites as an extension of of your brain and your body, they can have a variety of positive benefits too. So I talked about how people can interact with other people that they don't see every day. So close friends, family members, people who are not nearby. And being able to see photos that they post or that they just got a new job or that they're engaged can make people feel really happy. There's also a lot of arguments that seeing too much of other people's engagement announcements might make someone who's not engaged say, wait, what's going on with me? <laughs> right. So, so the challenge is really that accepting and acknowledging that social media ha- does have a very profound impact on how people feel. We asked her for some concrete strategies to use here because we're not trying to become ill or in my case, more ill. A lot of people try putting devices upstairs or downstairs or putting them in a place where you can't access them. And it's hard to resist that temptation if it's nearby and you know it's there. As you say, you're an adult and you have free will. One strategy that can be helpful for people is to recognize how much influence social media apps are having on them. So once you start to pay attention to how you feel when you see the little notifications that you have likes or you have retweets, and if you start to pay attention to how you feel after you see those and realize you shouldn't have to rely on those kinds of feedback mechanisms to feel good or to feel happy. 
And there's some studies showing that when people get the little red notifications on Facebook, they feel an endorphin hit. So you feel better about yourself. And once you realize that, it's easier to be a little bit cynical about that and say, I'm probably not the kind of person who has to have those kinds of social feedback or feedback mechanisms to make myself feel good about how I am or how I'm doing. Being able to look at the sites and say, no, I don't need to rely on that just to feel good can help people to actually realize these are not that important of signals. She says the leading apps might be the answer for some people long term, but it's probably not necessary for most people. There's a variety of ways to try to regulate behavior and it's more of a continuum than a binary. So there's often questions of people saying, I'm going to delete Facebook or delete Instagram. But my guess is that more often it's nuanced in ways that people might be using it less or they might be trying to regulate how they use social media more often than they are just saying, I'm going to use it or I'm not going to use it. In later studies, that has been a big question of when you take breaks from social media, do you feel differently? Do you feel better about yourself? And I think the answer is yes. And I think it's primarily because people feel like they have self-control over their use of technology. So one solution she brings up is the digital well-being and time well spent and screen time apps that we talked about before and that I kind of dismissed. There are a lot of apps like time well spent. They tend to focus on two things. One is the amount of time people are spending on social media, and the other is distractions. I think that they are particularly effective at helping people to retrain some of their behaviors. I don't get the sense that people are necessarily using them long-term as a permanent solution to, to manage how they're spending their time, but instead that they pick them up in order to shift how they're spending their time. So if they feel like they're using Instagram too much, it might just help them to reflect on how much are they actually using it. If they have to stop using it or they can't access it, then that retrains the mind to think, oh, I don't need to be trying to open this right now. Obviously, it's great that she brought this up. And it's wild that she was doing this years ago, so many years ago. I know. Before the whole trend came on. But I'm still, as we always are on this show, a little skeptical of these time well spent apps. I am too. I don't love the idea of software being a solution for software. Exactly. It's just sort of as like, is this something you can really help with? Right. Like, I think I just need to chuck my phone out a window eventually. <laughs> <laughs> but. Okay. So to wrap up, we're going to ask Maggie Stanfill, director of UX design for Google's digital well-being, what design solutions, if any, there are for our app obsession. So my team's mission is to support people's intentional relationship with technology. If we think about the moment in time that we're in, which is clearly a very important inflection point with respect to ubiquity of tech, that is really only the past five to 10 years. And I think in essence, what we're looking at is kind of a teenager stage of this space. So I am very much approaching it from that inquisitive kind of discovery stage from a design process and therefore really investing a lot in research and in partnerships with academic bodies as well as external orgs to really round out our perspective. Maggie says one of the design challenges is the fact that everybody around the world uses tech differently in unique contexts and in really personal ways. So Google basically has to do a lot of research and they should just listen to this podcast. (laughs) 
This is highly, highly individual and very context specific. The design process is extremely nuanced. And so a lot of what we're doing is really understanding what are those kind of key use cases and scenarios that are leading people to feel like maybe they are too habitual and they want to change behavior. Like Sarita said, and as most of our other interviewees have suggested, a big part of changing your social media behavior is just noticing what you're doing in the first place. For instance, on um, Android, we've got the digital well-being suite of products. And one of those is a dashboard that shows you basically where you've been on online. And the good news with that is that when people observe where they're spending their time, they then have insights to kind of course correct and change behaviors. So from a user experience standpoint, that then uncovers a lot of different ways that we can really help kind of mobilize and help activate people's desire to change. But convenient features like push notifications and infinite scroll are things that often just suck people into the apps and keep them there longer. So now designers are thinking about ways to interrupt them instead. Which, again, is very counter to what I would have said 10 years ago when I was saying, let's make sure we add payments credentials so they never have to look at their credit card again. Well, now, if there's a moment where a user has told us, hey, I actually do want to take a pause, I can then introduce a quick moment to say, do you really want to purchase that? Or do you really want to use that app again? One of the more interesting and kind of weirder solutions that Google has come up with is using machine learning to decide what notifications you might actually want. On Android, our notifications have priority people in your life set by you, and then we can help you see them over, say, retailers that maybe you wouldn't necessarily see in the same priority list. There is also, once the user tells us what is important, we can use some of those signals to ensure that those people continue to be prioritized. You can say, only let these people through, say for a text message, and everybody else be blocked. So we try to create systems that are extremely modifiable. Google also thinks voice assistants represent an opportunity to cut back on screen time, which makes sense. Like if you don't have to look at your phone to accomplish a basic task, you'll naturally spend less time on accidental misadventures. The semantic knowledge and the conversational approach you can use with the assistant is something that I have been dreaming about as a person who geeks out on language. And to see that progress in a way that could basically allow you to not type basically a, a whole lot less. That sounds fine, but it also sounds like an easy play to get a leg up on Amazon in the voice wars. But, you know, Whatever. Use it to your <laughs> advantage. And another one of Google's interventions is just turning your phone to grayscale, which people were already doing with their phones because they were so desperate for a solution in the first place. The feature that you're speaking about is the Android digital well-being wind down feature. And if you set your phone to wind down, it also incorporates grayscale which at a set time, which you can predetermine any day of the week at your leisure, you know, whatever time makes sense, it will automatically then trigger grayscale. And for me, it is very Pavlov dog-like in that it literally makes me stop using my phone within a few minutes. Still, it seems like Google is taking this pretty seriously. It's really important to have moments where we as a collective group kind of step back and think about, okay, what do we want our society to 
be in the future. And so that being said, I would never want a company to tell me what to do with my usage of technology or or any advancement. So I think it's more about people getting more awareness and people really understanding where they're spending their time how that impacts their own life, happiness and satisfaction, and then hopefully making course corrections with companies feeling really obligated to provide them with the tools. And so for us, we're building a lot of those features and functionality into our products so that people don't need to kind of tack it on. It's just built into, you know, how they how they use the device. So I was curious if Google has any plans to round up all the big tech companies and force everyone to talk about this stuff together, you know, Avengers style. (laughs) (laughs) Maggie was polite but vague about that question. I get a lot of outreach from various people across the industry. So I believe it would be a great opportunity to get us together. If we can get that group together, we can make a huge difference. This episode has somehow, like, it it wraps up a lot of our individual episodes in one place. Mm -hmm. Push notifications, getting hooked on apps. This is one of the more uplifting episodes we've done, I think. Yeah, I think so, too, (laughs) even though we started on a really dark note from you. Yeah, I know. And we didn't even get into the details, which are so much darker. Anyway, (laughs) I think I went into this episode, like, not really willing to think that there was going to be a solution Mm -hmm. to my problem. Mm -hmm. It was kind of like... I need to delete Instagram in order to live a happy life. But now I've heard a bunch of inspiring stories. I have a new friend in Lithuania. I have some reassurances that people have self-control and like can come up with healthy systems for themselves. And I have like a smidgen of belief that Google will do something about these problems. First of all, Google's in a position to do something about this because their business model is is not as I was saying, Google's com- not really commercial the social media. It's right. Instagram. Right. Specifically in this situation. Yeah. I think Google and like Apple who create the phones are part of the solution, potentially, but it really is going to come down to Instagram and Twitter and the apps that really get us addicted to start creating features that are healthier for us. Like I like take advantage of muting and blocking and it's sort of one of those things where again you have to be Like we talked about, you have to be aware of what you're doing on these apps. So Mm -hmm. like for me, I know looking at an ex-boyfriend's Instagram is not going to make me feel good. Like it just just isn't going to end well. So I can block it. Right. And that's that. It's like I made a conscious decision to be like, you know what? This is not healthy for me. Or I specifically know some people I follow who I couldn't unfollow because like we're friendly and it would be kind of mean. I can mute them. Like that's a huge feature that Instagram introduced that actually has huge implications. Like, Mm -hmm. I feel so much better that I don't have to see certain people's content. Right. And I do also, like, on this, like, a similar note, like, you can post, if I want to post an Instagram story and I don't want to be worried the whole time about, like, checking to see if my ex-boyfriend watched it, I can just, like, use close friends. Yeah. And Instagram's also hiding likes. They're doing a test in Canada where they're hiding the public like count. Mm -hmm. So, like, I think beyond Google and Apple and like time limitations because those aren't going to do anything for us. We're adults. We can ignore our time limitations. It's going to come down to the apps, but also maybe it's going to come down to us being aware. Yeah. Humans. I mean, I guess like to get back to the question that we posed at the beginning, like will deleting Instagram make me happy? Mm-hmm. I would say currently <laughs> I'm still really miserable But I actually do really think that quitting Instagram has helped me feel less bad or at least to be bad. And like, like, I think it's 
fine to be sad about things, but like being sad about random Instagram stuff is stupid. Like mm-hmm. quitting Instagram has helped me feel less bad, less of the time. And I think eventually I will be able to use it again in a normal way because of all of the advice that we've just been given. Amazing. I can't wait to have you back on the platform. I know. You've been missing me. That's it for this episode. Yeah, we did it. Again, I feel another okay. mission accomplished. <laughs> if you want to follow Caitlin on Twitter that she still uses, she's at K-A-I-T underscore Tiffany. If you want to follow my healthy Instagram account, <laughs> it's at Ashley Carmen. We want to thank our producers, Andrew Marino and Zach Mack. We also want to thank Gautam Shrikashen, who did the mixing and scoring. As always, you can email us at button at theverge.com if you want to share a story, give us some topic ideas, whatever else is on your mind. Unless it's spam. Unless it's spam. We're sick spamming of, us. We're sick of the chicken farm. And finally, rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts. Thanks. Bye. Bye.